You are listening to the audio portion of the QB Power Hour webinar series. The QB Power Hour is a free bi-weekly webinar series for accounting professionals presented by Michelle Long and Dan DeLong, who are very passionate about the industry, QuickBooks, and apps that integrate with QuickBooks. You can find out all the details about the webinar series at qbpowerhour.com. So without further ado, here's Michelle and Dan. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another QB Power Hour. Today's topic on our niche nuances is the cannabis industry and our special guest, Monique Swanson. So we're very glad to have you all joining us today. My name is Michelle Long. I'm the owner of Long for Success, a trainer for Intuit for a long time, author of five different books. You can check them on out. Check them out on Amazon, if you're interested, and there are the links to the Facebook group. We'd love to have you join us out there and continue the conversation. That's enough about me, Dan. My name is Dan DeLong, owner at Dan With. Worked at Intuit for nearly 18 years, which is how I got to know Michelle and Monique, probably. Talking to you several times on the phone, uh, but doing the co-hosting today, as well as over at School of Bookkeeping, where we do workshop Wednesdays and just wrapped up. The eighth edition tech editing the QBO for dummies series and been a top pro top ten pro advisor and top one hundred since two thousand eighteen. Malik, you're new to the show, so let's go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I am the CEO and founder of Chew Cass Accounting Firms, automated accounting services and accounting for green, my cannabis specific firm. I was a top 100 pro advisor 2019 to 2022. I did not make the cut last year. So working on that this year, I was fortunate enough to serve on Intuit's council, accountants council in the 2020-2021 era, which unfortunately was mostly virtual. I've been an advanced QuickBooks pro advisor for a long time. And I have some featured blogs in Farmer Future and CPA Practice Advisor. And again, so excited to be here with you today. We appreciate you joining us today and, and talking about this. Now, we do have the, this is like a recurring series every once in a while that we have a, a niche nuance or niche nuance, depending on whether you're tomato or tomato, how you pronounce the, the word niche or niche. But. What we what we really appreciate and thank you for joining us is that we there's so many you know, niches and as you'll talk about there's sub niches in this industry that we can they, that people can specialize in and Michelle that's been the the when you look at starting a practice you can be a generalist or a specialist and, and what what do you find uh, as being the being the advent the greatest ad, advantage of being a specialist in a certain industry when it comes to accounting and bookkeeping professionals, Michelle? Well, one of the best things there, once you get into a niche or a niche and specialize, then the industry language and the, all the jargon and, and all that. But not only that, then you can get into a textbook and you can use the same apps and all that. And it really helps you to be more efficient and effective to where you've got the same types of clients and everything. So it makes you more it just helps you to do the same things for the same clients and everything. And it helps you to command higher billing rates and higher prices for clients as well. So it just really helps to specialize in a particular niche or niche. So finding one that you like and you're interested in, it just makes it a lot easier all the way around. And sometimes when you start out as a generalist, you can find that, that, that niche, um, 
kind of presents itself. Monique, would you say that has been the, your story as, as far as this particular niche? Or were you like waiting for <laughs> something to happen? As, I am going to get into this niche. Um, <laughs> what, what would you say your genesis story in, in specializing in this industry? So I do definitely agree that being a generalist, you find ways to niche, whether it's a vertical or something else or a service offering. So I, I totally agree with that. But this particular niche, I decided upon and really waited for um, it to be a possibility in my state and the states around me. So it was something I had pre-decided that I wanted to get involved in and learn about. And um, I did have a good runway to learn a lot of things before I really tried to practice with my clients. As, so I was well prepared by the time I launched the second farm and was ready to start this niche. But I don't think it's always that way. I do feel like niches will find you or niches will find you. And even sub niches within those niches will, you'll decide you really either can add special value or you really enjoy it or something to that effect. Now, Manish, do you want want to say something about why you started the second firm for this? Do you want to comment on that? Sure. I I started um, Accounting for Green in 2016. And at that time, even now, it's become much more mainstream since then. But at that time, I was unsure how much it was going to affect other people that I was doing business with. So that my clients that I was already working with and automated accounting services, and also my app partners and other people that may not agree or want to be part of the cannabis niche. So I wanted to keep those firms separated to create some separation and protection for people that I was working with already. Yeah. And and I think that was a smart idea for you, just to have that separation there. I think that was smart. All right. So let's let's talk a little bit about the, some housekeeping and some details about the, the QB Power Hour webinars. It's every other Tuesday at noon Eastern. Uh, you can always check the website, qbpowerhour.com for upcoming events. We also have other events that aren't in our series. And, and, and this is just one of those other subtopics that we continue to have on the QB Power. Sometimes we'll have the QBO updates or things like some hot topics from the from our Facebook group where we can talk about those types of things and 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 with the various other niches that we've talked about retail and e-commerce and legal you can find those all on the QB power hour we we do save those replays if you want if you're shopping for a, a niche you can take a look at some of those things that we talked about because all of these niches will have some kind of speciality or industry specific type of thing that, that you'll really want to gravitate around. And, and we'll talk about that with Monique today. So if you have specific questions about things that Michelle, Monique and I are, are talking about today, please put them in the Q and A, because especially since we only have an hour to talk about this and uh, we will probably find that we will fill that up pretty quickly and hope hopefully get to everything that we want to talk about today. And we may need to have Monique come back to talk about some of these sub niches and, and other special specialties that, that, that this industry talks about. But if you have a specific question, please put it in the Q&A because that allows us to follow up much, much easier. If you just have a general comment, maybe you're in Florida and you're bearing down for the storm that's coming, 
Uh, definitely put those put that in the chat. Our thoughts are with you. Uh, if you are, thank you for joining for one thing, but uh, hopefully the internet doesn't go out on you uh, while we're in the middle of the power. Uh, but if you need handouts or, or anything like that, we have uh, the links there and we'll post the links for today's specific webinar in the chat as well. So here's our agenda. We'll be talking about the opportunity because this has grown within the last few years, the legal state status of, of cannabis by state, some of the challenges, licensing, inventory tracking, cash management, moving monies and, and the tools that are involved with, with this specific niche. And what we'd like to do, especially today, because there's a lot of information on the slides themselves and it can get very wordy, I guess is the, the best way to describe it, is we just want to have a discussion with Monique. And so I'll bring up the slide. We'll talk a little bit about the slide, but then I'll also turn off the slide so that we can just have a general discussion about that. And we'll post the link specifically for the handouts as well. So if you want to uh, review that later or print it out if you want, or save it as a PDF, you certainly can. But let's first launch our first poll, which is, do you currently have a niche, niche, niche? <laughs> and while we're doing that poll, Michelle had a question here. Michelle with one L. <laughs> so Monique, do you think you still need that separation with the two entities? So if you were going to start this today, would you still start with a separate business entity? Would you still do that today if you were starting it? Do you think that's still necessary to have two business entities? I don't think it's probably necessary. I think that you should make sure that you're clear to it with, like I said, what app partners you're exposing to the cannabis clients, et cetera, et cetera. But it certainly helps with branding and marketing. So just some things to think about. Yeah. As a dad, I appreciate the pun in accounting for green. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that surprised me, I was reading somewhere that the people who are actually like using cannabis and going to cannabis for recreational purposes, like the demographics the most, are the boomers. It's not the young people or anything. It's the old people. <laughs> but there's a lot of old people that are actually going in and buying the edibles and everything. So that was surprising to me that in the recreational area, it's the old people. That they're seeing a lot of old people buying it. So that was well, you are children of the 60s. It came with a warning, actually, that said that the stuff that you buy in the stores is not like the stuff you did when you were younger. So be careful. It's a lot stronger than what you had when you were younger. So it, it did come with a warning. <laughs> stay off, and, and that warning wasn't stay off the tower, right? Would <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, we'll have a little bit of fun there today talking about some of these things. So talk a little bit about the industry itself and the opportunity, Monique. So the opportunity is that last year it was an over $13 billion industry, and it's the fastest growing industry in the U.S. currently, which means there's plenty of opportunity to find a niche if you want to service this industry. It certainly is not the easiest industry to serve, but I'm going to I'm going to say that probably anybody that's niching into something will tell you that it's a little more complex to be a specialist. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think in our discussions prior to coming up here, there's a lot of surprises in this particular niche than any others. And we'll unpack some of those things 
But how far back does it go? There's some states that have had this, you know, as far as medic, medicinal, that this is this has gone back early part of 2000, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, there was which is was deemed illegal after a while, but there was a, a 1992. There was a membership club in San Francisco that supported cannabis. And so similar to the types of clubs you might think of as wine clubs or things like that, they broke out and were using cannabis as part of this club. Now, that particular use got shut down, but that's probably the first organized cannabis sales of any sort that there were. It was 1992. And you created or you put as part of the, the slides a listing of every state that that either has it legalized for recreational use or or medicinal and what year that actually occurred. So I appreciate you doing that. California, 1996 was when we had medical, right? Yeah, even Alaska prior to Y2K. Wow. And then I think Colorado, I think, was the first to do it for recreational, I think, in 2012. Because I remember... We were out there the year it became legal for recreational, and it was crazy because the warnings of people, it was just nuts that people were lined up, and it was just absolutely crazy. Washington um, State was also in 2012. Okay, okay. But I think there's Colorado in that year. I think it was the second stage. And then the brilliant marketing of the Girl Scouts to set up their booths right outside the dispensaries was even better. I know. Think of the girls that did that. That was just genius. Those girls were genius. That was smart. What about your impulse impulse purchase going in or coming out? Uh, so talk a little bit about some of the challenges because the, I think I think the biggest thing is the whole legality legality issue. But this tax code. Talk a little bit about that. Right. Cannabis is still a Schedule One illegal drug. So it means that even though it may be legal in certain states, it's definitely still federally illegal. And so the federal government came up with IRC 280E um, as an offset. Probably its intent was to make sure that cannabis sales could never be profitable in any way and those businesses would go out of business. It didn't work out quite that way, but it was probably still beneficial for the IRS because the IRS does not allow any normal and ordinary expense deductions. So cannabis companies literally pay tax on their gross profits. That is an amazing, there's no other industry that does that. Is that correct? That is correct. So that would be the easiest tax return ever, right? How much money did you make? Send it in. Tax it and spend it in. (laughs) Because accounting professionals and tax professionals are trying to help our clients, cannabis companies, we do a lot of leveraging of cost of inventories for those who we can help with that. So cultivation facilities and manufacturing facilities, it's less able to be anything for dispensaries because they can only really deduct the cost of the product. So we leverage cost of goods sold in the best way possible. And huge amount of compliance and documentation that is needs to be done so that it is will pass an audit. 
what do, has to do you find do you find that there, it's more scrutinized because of that uh, that there could potentially be a lot of people putting in their cost of goods things that aren't cost of goods right like, so they do they have a lot more uh, scrutiny around that we as a profession, as accountants, definitely do because um, I'm not signing any tax returns, but I know the ones, <laughs> my tax preparers that do sign those tax returns are very careful about that because they're willing to represent those companies if they need to. And yes, there's a lot of auditing that goes on. Um, and we feel like there will be more again now that we've come out of the pandemics because I feel like auditing in general was sort of quiet over the last couple of years. but. Um, we're prepared for an uptick in that. But yeah, I think as accounting professionals, we're really interested in making sure that the documentation is good and that the compliance rules are good. Uh, probably do-it-yourself clients might be less interested in that and probably are trying to leverage that in a better way. I think it's important for these, these cannabis licensees to have the right people in their corners so that you know, if and when, and we always say when they are reviewed and audited, they have the documentation and the people they need to back them up. Monique. Um, um, oh, go ahead. So Monique, we talk about how there's challenges with these clients. And, and we were just talking about the inventory tracking and everything. And, and when we were talking, you explained how there's actually different types of cannabis clients. And you might want to put up a license like that there's like a farming type of client like a and a manufacturing type of client and then there's also a retail type of client do you want to talk a little bit about different types of cannabis clients that there's not all just one type there is not and there's so many different licenses and the licenses are different in each state and there's tiers within those license groups but here in front of you are the three probably most popular and yes cultivation is farming and manufacturing is manufacturing, and it's, for the most part, food manufacturing so or process manufacturing. And retail is very retail. If you already specialize in a retail niche and, and you love POS systems and you love merchandise tracking, then that might be your sub-niche right there. So all of these are dealing with inventory, and inventory tracking in this industry is really huge, isn't it? That's critical on them tracking their lodged and everything, and the distribution and all that. That's always a big piece of this, isn't it? The inventory tracking. It is. And not only is it critical, but it's tracked in state tracking systems. So, it, and again, it depends on the state, but on average, once a... a a plant growth from seed or a clone reaches about two and a half inches tall. It's digitally marked with a tag and that tag and package numbers follow it through its whole life cycle until it's sold to a customer. These state tracking systems are no joke and they track everything. So they even track when product goes out for testing. It knows what the testing results are and everything else in that batch or lot that came from that grow group. Is matched with that tracking. And anything that's wasted, like anything that's tested is wasted or anything that's wasted is tracked completely. So the inventory tracking is no joke. And building in those costs of inventories is really important so that we are leveraging the right amount of costs for those clients to make them as profitable and pay the least amount of tax as possible. 
Now, now there's a, another substance that 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 is legal, CBD, and how does that how does that play into these sorts of industries? Do how do they do they have to set up separate entities if they're doing one and the other? Because in order to assist with some of the uh, ordinary expenses that couldn't have been, or is it does it is it just across the board? You pay on gross profit regardless of if you touch the cannabis industry, then you're paying on gross profit. That would probably be true. So I'm not a lawyer. So the entity choice on cannabis is very complex. But usually the different licenses are separate entities. Not always. There are definitely some vertically integrated cannabis companies that do cultivation straight through to retail. And they have multiple licenses in the same overall entity. But hemp farming or legal hemp farming for CBD has to be certified. And so there are people that grow CBD that are not certified and those that are. So only the certified product can cross state lines and is actually legal in all. Oh, and that's another sub niche right within this niche (laughs) is working with CBD sales. But lots of cannabis companies, especially cannabis um, dispensaries, buy CBD products. A lot of times they don't grow them themselves, but they buy CBD products. Manufacturers also buy CBD products to do um, blended ingredients so that they can give those correct cannabinoids. And yeah, there's always some overlap in those things. And talk a little bit about the, because it is a, a Schedule One substance, it cannot, there's, there's nothing that allows that to cross state lines. How does that play into, in, into this industry? Yes. Interstate commerce is strictly forbidden and that goes for product and money. So if you're buying some branded product in a dispensary, when there are a number of, uh, actually that's one of the big ways to make money in the cannabis industry now is to get a brand. Um, and sell rights to that brand without actually having product related to it. But say there's a brand out there and a cannabis company wants to sell that brand or grow that brand, then they have to get the strains correctly. Um, and there are some ways to sell seeds and clones, I believe, <laughs> uh, because the THC content of those things is so low that it it passes some legal standards, although there'll be people that say that's not okay either. But that's how they get those strains. And all those strains have to be grown in that state if they're going to be sold in that state. So nothing is made out of the state and nothing is grown out of the state. Everything is a complete economy within each state. Okay, so not saying that I would know this, but so like when I see... The wanna gummy or the fireball gummy or whatever in right. Colorado and in Missouri, somebody is those that brand, somebody has to grow them and all that. So somebody's buying the rights to that brand in each state. But the they're growing it recipe. and making it. Yes, the brand, the brand and the recipe and all that. Okay. Okay. So each one is grown and made separately in each individual state. That's correct. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I, I didn't you know like that. Now talk about some of the other challenges because I watched some documentary way back when it was first going on the whole thing. 
And it was talking about how this war that was one of the first ones in Breckenridge, Colorado. And they were talking about how they had to pay the employees every payday in cash. They were pounding out pennies, nickels, and dimes and putting them in envelopes to pay employees in cash. They talked about needing an armored truck and security guard to go pay $30,000, $40,000 in sales tax at the, the state to go pay their sales taxes and stuff because they couldn't have a bank account. Can you talk some about cash and how, how do they handle all this stuff? Because at that time, this was years ago, at that time, they couldn't have bank accounts and stuff. Can you talk about some of those challenges in doing payroll when somebody had the question of, can you use QBO? with this. And you and I were talking about challenges in doing payroll and stuff. Can you talk about some of those challenges of doing their banking, handling cash and payments and all that? Can you talk about some of that for us? I can. Banking is a huge challenge. It's a huge issue. There are have been several banking acts um, that have been in front of the Senate and Congress, and there are a few still out there. And we're hoping someday that Banking will be more available to all the states. So the banking that's used now is generally a credit union or a state chartered bank within the states that are legal and usually has a compliance group within that bank and outside insurance above FDIC insurance for um, the banking insured. But before there was banking, all of those cannabis companies did business only in cash because they had no place to put their cash. They could only put it in safes. They couldn't deposit it into banks. They could not get bank accounts. If they opened bank accounts, they were often closed and all the funds were held and they they didn't get their money back. So then they didn't trust banking. It's been a slow evolution with banking. And as far as payroll, there are payroll companies that offer compliance bank payroll for cannabis companies. It's always a good idea to be upfront when you set up any of these services. If you're looking for banking, you want to go into the bank and say, I'm going to open an account for a cannabis business. If you're getting payroll, you want to say to your payroll provider, I'm opening an account to pay employees under a licensed cannabis operation. Because if you don't, the chances of that solution not working for you are high. So ADP is not going to run your payroll. Paychecks is not going to run your payroll, and I would not have Intuit run your payroll either. Um, no connected payment services should be used when in a QBO or QB desktop file. They, that you should use the accounting GL as a standalone only without any connected services that are on any payment rails, because otherwise, likely, there's going to be an issue being upfront about what you're doing and when you're doing it and using solutions that know what they're getting themselves into is my best advice. So now there is payroll, there is some banking, um, but there is still a number of issues with sending and receiving payments. Some taxing authorities will only take money orders or treasury checks. They won't accept anything else. So a lot of times, say, renewing a license in a state Maybe that's a $10,000 fee. You see how the states make a lot of money on this? (laughs) So you might have to get a treasury check from your bank and take that into a state office to get that license renewed. You might not be able to just send them a regular check. Every state's a little different. 
And But the way that you move money can really only be on ACH in a compliant bank or wire or by check. So you're not using any payment services here. And if you are, you're subject to having that shut down for sure. So along with that goes security issue. They have to have been security. If they have to go to the bank and get cash, and when they're taking cash and money, they have to have huge security surrounding these places and everything because they're dealing in so much cash and everything. They do. And lots of states have um, requirements around money movement. So they're required to have outside um, money movers. They cannot bring their own cash to the banks. And that's expensive. And so there's there's a real risk and reward sort of thing. Like how much cash do I want to keep on site? Because how many times do I want to pay for a cash transport company to come to my facility? And there are some other things that you can use. There's some smart safes and there's uh, cash recyclers. So talk about the smart safe, because when you were talking about that yesterday, that was a neat way, I think, for people to or people in this industry to help with the potential risks of having so much cash. What is a smart safe? So a smart safe is an internet connected safe that's sanctioned by the bank. And it has the ability to count money and it counts it by serial number. So it actually knows what you put in for money. And it keeps track of what money you've put in there. And because it's connected to your bank into your bank account, as long as you put the money into your smart safe, you have no way of opening that smart safe. You have no way of getting the money out. They can automatically deposit that into your account. And then they either have their own money transport people, depending on the bank, or that they have transport partners that they agree with that will go and get that money on a schedule and bring it into the bank. So you, I think you called it uh, a reverse ATM. Like it's I a- did. And the other thing that dispensaries can use that is like a reverse ATM is a cash recycler, which is actually what banks use to count their money. And so similarly, the bank doesn't record those as deposits, but if you're using cash recyclers in your dispensary and you're not closing out your drawers every day, you're not having people in the dispensary or managers counting everything and using those cash counting machines because all of the cash received and paid out comes out of these cash recyclers and it's already pre-counted. And and the cassettes that hold the cash are sealed and there's cameras on them. And so when your cash transport company comes in, they pull out the cassettes and then they're responsible to bringing that money to the bank. And it's a, it's the ROI is huge, but the individual units are very expensive. So it's a big undertaking, but overall, I'm going to tell you the amount of labor and um, mistakes that it saves is huge. So anybody who's thinking about opening a dispensary, definitely look into cash recyclers. I've done a blog on them and I'll do some more talking about them. I think that they're great. And does that all that also helps with with the theft potential or the risk of somebody coming into the store? Do convenience stores do they also use these things, or is that is it something completely different just for this industry? Convenience stores use ATMs, and most dispensaries also have ATMs in them. And we find that often 
cannabis operators will ha- own their ATMs or at least their ATMs in a separate entity because there's some revenue sharing on the ATM fees. And then those wouldn't be subject to 280E if it was a separate business. But I've never seen a convenience store with a cash recycler in it. Usually it's banks or other really high cash industries that would use it. Casinos, those types of things. The barrier to entry for how expensive they are is, is decent. So when it comes to the accounting side of things, how do you get the data from them and stuff? And how are you getting it into QuickBooks and stuff and, and doing the integrations and stuff? You have apps that are integrating with QuickBooks. I haven't seen a lot of apps for this industry that integrate. How are you doing that? You're right, Michelle. <laughs> it's a challenge. There is Bookkeep for one, integrates with some cannabis-specific POS systems. Some of those integrations are better than others, but it is a crutch. So it is one way to set up some of that. Just like other retail situations, you're going to want a daily sales receipt or daily sales posted. And you're also going to want to track your, your discounts, your loyalty card credits. And there's a whole... All of the things that are retail are also built in here. So there is definitely loyalty programs. There's gift cards. There's all of that built in. And having a way to, to get that posted to QuickBooks or Zero or whatever GL you're using on a daily basis is super helpful. We don't always get it. Sometimes we have to set up a manual daily sales receipt and we have to post it that way when we're doing retail. But just like other retail solutions, your best bet is to have the sales posted daily. There are some ERP systems uh, that we use for manufacturing and cultivation and tracking inventory and tracking movement that are connected to the state reporting inventory requirements, but not a lot of connection to GL systems yet. And I feel like that will get better as, as the industry gets a little older and those they get a little bit more investment money into those software apps. And they can build out their runway into the things that they want to add in. I don't feel that they understand quite yet that targeting accountants is a good way to get their apps better known. So I would like to create some awareness there. If anybody's working with any of those app partner, those app partners for cannabis, you can speak with them and tell them partnering with me is a great idea because I'm going to get your app installed and help you work with those clients. So and we had we had Bookkeep come on and you had mentioned them last when we were talking. But Bookkeep, one of the things that we, we really like about them is they don't shy away from uh, a challenge. Right. So if there is an accounting integration or report that you can get out of the software that you are using, typically you can send that to them and they'll help create the integration, but they would need someone like you, Monique, to really massage the data and make sure that it's posting in the right place that, you know, for this particular industry. Yeah. And I have helped them on a few integrations there. Yeah. Lori's watching actually from (laughs) Bookkeep. 
Yeah, Lori's in the chat saying, I would love to help here. So she's giving your email and everything. So Monique, I have a question. So if we get into this industry, we were talking the other day about how people have to have millions of dollars to get into this industry. That it's, It costs a lot to get into this industry and start a business for the companies, not necessarily for the county and, um, professionals, but for them to start a business to get the license and to get approved. How it takes a number of years to start a business and to get a license and all that. So one would think that these are people who are just savvy and that they know what they're doing and that they're they're good business people, let's say, and good entrepreneurs and everything, and that they're good because they can raise $10 million or whatever they need to get the funding to start a business and everything, that they would have an appreciation or the need for a good accountant. Are they better clients than... The other clients we see. What can you say as far as them appreciating the need for a good accountant and stuff? How would you characterize them from that perspective for clients for us? So I would say anybody that has started this process and seen it through to full licensing is a hardy person. Usually they are passion-driven individuals and not necessarily business individuals. What drives them in this industry is not the same drivers that we see in a lot of other industries. It's hard to say because they have to go through so many challenges and there's so many expenses and there's so many people that are trying to get them to buy into something along the way that they're a little guarded. And I would have to say overall, you really have to understand that they'd be a little guarded and really trying to make them understand the value that you can bring to the engagement up front and really work with them on what's important to them and get them to understand what you bring to the table and why it's important to work with not only an accounting professional, which is really important for everybody pretty much, but somebody that knows a little bit about their industry and has worked with other people in their industry and can bring um, some levity to some of the risk and reward situations that they're going to encounter. Is there an ideal time to to reach out and engage or, or to work with a client like this? I like to get in before they're fully licensed so that we can make sure that their balance sheet's really tight before they start business. And uh, typically, typically once they start, it, it's one of those situations where they're waiting all of a sudden the start gun goes off and they're hitting the ground running. So with any luck, they're, they're getting started right away and they're hiring people and they're bringing people in and everything starts to go crazy for them. So getting in a little bit before that craziness hits and making sure that their books are already solid, that we've got some processes set up, that we know how we're going to handle the situation of bringing in a lot of employees at one time. And we know how we're going to make sure that anything they purchased is in the right place and that WIP is all good. It, so I would say as early as you can afford to do it is probably the best thing. We do offer some pre-licensing pricing to build a relationship so that when they are fully licensed um, and we look at the engagement based on how, what it's actually going to be, we've built some goodwill. Hopefully there. I think that's a great strategy to be able to, it's not like a, it's not like freemium. It's, <laughs> it's like somewhere in between. It straddles both the sides so that both parties in this case can test the waters of each other, get to know each other. And then, okay, before like I, I, 
I, I understand that you're guarded. I understand that you're doing, trying to do the best that you can. And there's a, a happy medium in between. Right. And that's a good one for any business pre-opening to work with them when they're pre-opening and stuff like that. So that's a good one here. Somebody had a question here. What are some of the obstacles on outsourcing the labor to a separate entity that would handle the hiring, firing, and payroll? Um, to contract the labor to work in the industry. That way, the CE just pays the bulk fees to the labor entity, even if both entities are owned by the same owner. Again, there's a lot of controversy around that. That's a great question. And we do see a lot of management entities in cannabis. And that is really to keep management non-plant touching personnel out of the cannabis touching entity. And only the labor or direct costs are in that entity. Um, but the IRS would definitely say that if they're related and that they're, most of your time is spent working in that entity, then you really work for that entity. It's a slippery slide overall. But if the management is doing something, but also doing other things and working on branding, they're working on other thing, marketing and other things related to other entities within the umbrella, then I've seen that work okay. Now, it would seem that a cannabis business at the retail level, I'm not talking about the other two, but it would seem that it's an all-cash business. And it would, it would seem like they just are made to be profitable from the get-go. But is that true? Or do they have some of the same struggles and some of the same problems that other businesses do? Do they fail just like other businesses do? Do they need some of the same cash flow management? And do they, do they say, say some of the same problems some of the others do? Can they grow too fast just like others do? Do they have some of the same problems and issues that other clients face? And they, some, yeah, what are some of the manufacturers and the growers? Do they need some of the same same issue. Do they face some of the same issues that other clients face? I guess they certainly do. They and they do grow so fast. They, some of them fail right off the bat, and a lot of reasons for that are unique. In so much as that, they get themselves three years before they can open in a lease that they can never afford because they needed to get a host community agreement to get their licenses. And smart operators usually have separate entities that own properties, but they can control in some way the expense that's going to happen overall so that, so that they have some control over the outside factors. But when they have no control over the outside factors and they're in a lease that they can't afford because they're never going to have the traffic that they thought that they might have at that particular entity for whatever reason, traffic, they had a study that wasn't good. They just completely botched their forecasting or they just didn't have a plan at all. And their foot traffic isn't enough and their daily sales aren't enough to really support the things that they have in place. And a lot of them are going for long-term leases because they have to get those community agreements in place. And so they rather know that they have a place and that they have something that um, is, is already approved through their licensing. So they do fail and they do need tons of help with cash management. And having all that cash is not a great thing. It's actually really hard to manage. It's the thing that they day in and day out really need to manage as a business. And if they don't have support of 
a cash recycler or something else. They've got two or three people counting everything every day. Just the time and energy that takes. They also have to count their inventory and prove that out. So there's a fair amount of work that's involved in being a cash mostly business. And dispensaries are one of the biggest cash only businesses in the U.S. because everywhere else you can take that plastic out. Yeah. And use there's a lot of labor involved when you deal with that much cash. It is. Mm-hmm. It's happy too, Isha. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of labor. You know, uh, it requires all kinds of SOPs and security measures from moving it from one place right. to another, to getting it counted, to different spots in the safe, and what amount of cash is going to be on hand, and how often are we going to have the cash transporters in. And it just takes a lot of logistical planning to manage around that much cash. But if you plan to get $40,000 a day and you're getting $8,000 a day, then your forecast was way off. And you need somebody to help you figure out what, how you can do better with what you've got or why you can, why it is that way. Can you change it? Can your pricing change? Can you buy things for in bulk, at least less expensively? Do you have, can you save up a certain amount to do that, to carry more inventory? All the same things that we can help our clients with on the regular basis, you can apply here for sure. And I would imagine. um, I was remembering in, when I lived in Arizona in the the recreational referendum that had just passed. And in my community, somebody wanted to put up a, a growing facility. And that went through. First, they had to put that part, just could we allow that in my backyard type of thing? And all these people came out of the woodwork, went to to be either for or against it. Um, and, and a lot of the, the not in my backyard people were uneducated in, in what, what that was actually doing was like, we, we're not going to have this here in the backyard. So coming up, coming up against a lot of that stigma between the, in this industry, I, I'm sure that's got to be one of the other unspoken challenges with this industry. Cause like you were saying, these people are passionate uh, about doing this for, for other reasons other than they want to make one. Nobody ever says no to making money, usually. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the challenges are hard. So usually they have an additional passion to do it. Each state is a little different. They all have different amounts of licenses and the places where they'll allow those licenses. I can tell you in Massachusetts, our CCC, Cannabis Control Commission, allowed in individual towns and cities to opt in or opt out overall. And and then even with degrees in there, so some could opt in to medical only, some to recreational, some to we only want it in certain places in town or that kind of thing. A lot. You'd be surprised where some of the cultivation facilities are. There are many places where you would never, ever know that there was a huge cultivation facility in an area because they're generally not on the main streets. Oh, yeah, and there, it doesn't have the same smell as a, <laughs> as a as a, as a well. They have huge requirements around there. There's special each. Just fitting one of these facilities out is incredibly difficult because they have to have built-in generators. They have to have special special HVAC systems and air handlers and cultivation facilities that do extraction services have to have bomb-proof booths to do the extraction in. So. It's no joke building out these facilities and the requirements are huge 
for them. And again, varies greatly from state to state, but overall it's pretty complex. I uh, I put up, we're running to the close top of the hour. So I wanted to make sure we got our poll questions thrown in there. So is there any aspects, this is the question, are there any aspects of this niche that gives you cause for pause? And uh, this is a multi-select, so you can, you can select as many as you want here, but I can see the, they're coming in and there's all the rules and regulations. So you've definitely scared some folks with all the rules. And that's important because if you're an accountant that doesn't like inventory, like me, (laughs) this would not be a niche for you. You know what I mean? Because that is a big thing. And all those rules and regulations and stuff are key. One of the things, though, that I have noticed is that when you're in an industry like this, it's discretionary spending. It's like I had a client that had a specialty sporting goods store and they sold things like hunting and fishing gear, but they also sold guns and things like that, part of the hunting and stuff. And when a casino opened up, it hurt them because that's also discretionary spending. You know, the cannabis for recreational is discretionary spending. You know, so when the economy and inflation is going up and people are hurting, that's going to hurt discretionary spending. And that's going to, I think, affect sales. And I've been watching, we've got some nearby, and I've been watching just the cars in the parking lot and things like that. And I have noticed that when they first opened up, there were a lot of cars there all the time. And there's not as many cars there as there used to be. And I also see more and more sales that, you know, they had edibles on sale on Monday and two, two for Tuesdays. And they're running sales and promos just like other stores do and things like that. So I think they affect that the economy affects them just like it does other businesses and stuff. So I think they face some of the same challenges. Now, Kim is saying people purchase pot before food. But the problem is when they eat cannabis, then they need food too. So they go together. (laughs) They go hand in hand. (laughs) Those two things go together. A lot of times, though, these businesses, they do face a lot of the same challenges and stuff. So we need to remember that. I think a lot of times people think this industry is going to succeed no matter what. And that's not the case. They face a lot of the same challenges that other industries do. Um, Monique, would you, do you agree or disagree or what are your thoughts? I definitely agree. And usually what happens, and you'll see this, we can use uh, California and Colorado as examples. In the beginning of it becoming legalized in a state, there's a big boom. And and there's a lag for a number of cannabis operators to get fully licensed to open. So it takes a while for all that to happen. And when that first happens, the cultivators, their product is needed every place. The cost of the product for the, for the dispensaries or other distribution is high. And then it tends to go, as, as the market matures, it goes down. Because now there's plenty of product on the market. And the same thing with the dispensaries. When they first open, people go there and then they buy enough stuff to last them for a while. And they don't need to go shopping again for a while unless it's Thanksgiving or something. So I was going to say there are a number of big cannabis holidays and Thanksgiving, the Wednesday before and the Friday after are huge cannabis sales days. So something about the food and the family drive a lot of cannabis sales. But there are others that are pretty big cannabis holidays, but there are specials and those and the dispensaries that do well know how to market their own product. They know what makes them special, just like we as accountants know what make us and our firm special. 
and where our value is, the dispensaries need to find that as well and be marketing to those people. And that's how they do well. Money, do you have any idea from your clients? What's the breakdown on medicinal versus direct? Recreational. I have worked with clients that sold both. And I've worked with clients that were medical only and received adult use licenses and merged into it. The big difference between that I've seen, and again, not a bud tender or a cannabis specialist, but the big difference I've seen between the things that are offered for sale for medical patients versus adult use recreational are the amount of THC that's in the individual things that you can purchase overall. You're still limited to whatever you can purchase in that state in total. And sometimes there's less strains available to medical. Sometimes there's the service offering sometimes isn't quite as large, but there, it's a huge market. There's plenty of medical patients out there that need product. And oftentimes they pay less in taxes as well. So it depends on the state again. But a lot of times there's not a sales tax or additional debt use taxes that are involved in so that they can buy it more cheaply. For the dispensaries that sell both, what's split? Is it like 50-50 medicinal and rec? Or do they sell like 75% medicinal or 25% recreational? Or do you have a feel for that? I believe that they have to be sold in separate areas within the dispensary even. I know, but when you look at their revenue, what percentage is coming from medicinal sales versus recreational sales? It's beating out medicinal sales at this point, for sure. That's what I was curious about. I know there's a huge need for recreational. A lot of people need it and use it and everything. I, I just was curious. And Donna's saying in Florida, it's all medicinal. And a lot of states are still just medicinal. And okay, and Stacy's saying 75 to 95 recreational. I'm going to launch the okay. uh, the last poll, and while that's being answered, the what we have up on the screen is, is <laughs> Monique. You have a cannabis conversation, so you can continue this conversation. Talk a little bit about. Yeah, I'm doing a webinar in September, and it's for accounting people as well. But this is really for people who are in the licensing process, so we can go through what the expectations are. Now they have very strict instructions from their regulating bodies about what they need to do to submit for their license and to get fully licensed. But where we can augment that and help them with some of the SOPs related to accounting functions and how we can get um, them into an accounting file and set them up for success from the beginning, like making sure they get banking suit. A lot of times what we'll see is people will spend their own money and not track it really well in the beginning stages of their licensing process. And that's always been a challenge to try and get the documentation around that. They don't understand that they have to have every piece of documentation and that they have to have full clarity around how and when that money was spent. So that's that's a little bit about what that conversation is about. But I would love it if anybody who's interested here that we're talking to that's in the accounting industry wants to join us. That would be great. And you can just, if you're watching this on YouTube or, or watching it live, you can just take out your phone, take a picture of the QR code, and that'll take you to the, take you to the right place to, to sign up, right? That's right. And there, the link is also on there if you want to just type it into a browser. Exactly. 
Monika, thank you again for for joining us and 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 leading us in this uh, in this conversation because we certainly could have gotten into the weeds. No pun intended <laughs> uh, with with this. Um, it was it, very enlightening. <laughs> it's been great. I thank you both for having me. This has been fun. Yeah, thank you, Monique. It was very good. Thank you very much. All right. And everybody who joined us uh, today, appreciate you joining us. Those of you in, in Florida, hunker down, I think, is the is the uh, it's the term of the day. Yeah, everywhere that you might be affected. I know. My prayers are out there for everybody. Hopefully, we come out mostly unscathed. Yep. Stay safe, everybody. Thanks, right. Dan. Thanks, Bernie. Thanks. We will see you next time on the QB Power Hour, and hope you all have a great day. We hope you enjoyed listening to the QB Power Hour podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to ask them in our Facebook group. You can find those resources and much more at qbpowerhour.com.